Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. I've discovered the English language to be both intriguing and hard. After learning my first second language, which was Swahili, I often thought how thankful I was to be born in a country that speaks English because I'm not sure I'm smart enough to learn it otherwise. English is hard. We have so many words that sound so close to one another, like fair, fair, or fair. These are all adjectives, verbs, adverbs, and finally nouns. All are very different, but sound exactly the same. English is hard. Oxymorons in the English language are difficult as well. Two words with opposite meaning that come together to create a very nuanced concept, such as jumbo shrimp, fair fight, or fatal cure. Here's another nuanced idea in the English language that plagues us all. Government shutdown. The extremism of both parties and branches to politicize issues and to use the threat of government shutdowns is tough to negotiate and understand. I listened to revered conservative commentators describe the government shutdown as in its fifth or sixth day, when actually it's in its first or second. Friday the 21st, at midnight, the shutdown began, then there was the weekend, and then finally Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So Wednesday was probably the first day. Others have sensationalized headlines about the government shutdown that hurts America's poor. And the truth is that 75% of our government is already funded. The poor will hurt if the shutdown lasts through January, but the programs supporting our hungry neighbors are still currently funded and will be through February. Hard not to talk about the subject of this shutdown, and that is the wall. The subject or the objective of the shutdown, to me, is irrelevant. So there's no really need for me to address the wall, because this is the third partial government shutdown that has occurred between the president and Congress's watch. This seems to be our modern-day government's inaction, or our modern-day government inaction. I told you English was hard. The real issue isn't the wall, because the fourth time this happens, it will be over something new or at least something else. What we have here is a group of adults who aren't adulting very well, who hold elected leadership positions who aren't leading very well. Government shutdowns are a result of poor leadership on both sides, executive and legislative, Republicans and Democrats. It is not a time to negotiate, reason, think, lead, and do what is right and best. The time to do those things are before we have a government shutdown. A government shutdown is the result of leaders who are more worried about fixing the blame instead of fixing the problem, and candidly, it is a failure to lead and succeed. I'm excited to discuss this topic with Jerry, and we are back to dissect this current partial government shutdown and its effect on our work in just a moment. You come back and be with us. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. 
Welcome back, everyone. Food for Thought here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. Uh, Jerry, great to see you, as always, and uh, welcome back to the studio. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure as we're sitting here between uh, Christmas and New Year's, and uh, it's a time for a lot of Thanksgiving and a time for people to be joyful, but also a time to be very thoughtful, you know, when you've got uh, both those holidays back-to-back like they always are. It's, I think, a very interesting, wonderful, fascinating time. So what is what a really wild time to be talking about a government shutdown. Well, I wasn't going to characterize it as another holiday that we've squeezed <laughs> in here, but we have managed to shut down at least partially the government. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you've learned about this? And I know we've talked about three quarters versus one quarter of the government. and all, So why don't you lead us into this? Well, I think probably the biggest challenge from where food banks sit on this issue is to sort through the rhetoric and try to figure out what's actually going to happen to the people we serve and is there a way we can get ahead of that curve so that we can make sure that as you know we're coming into winter and we're just finishing the holidays and kids are just getting back to school, that those kids are ready to thrive, that our employed people who are, who are getting help uh, all of a sudden aren't being able to pay the rent because they're not getting that help anymore. I mean, it's those sorts of things that we worry about and that we want to have some line of sight to so that we can put together a plan of action. And and I also um, reflect a lot about the significance of public-private partnerships when these things happen, because I can't imagine what our community would do if it weren't for the safety net that the food banks hold up. I mean, it, it makes right. me really happy to be here and to be talking to a lot of different people from the community. Right now, mostly what I'm doing is reassuring people. Mm-hmm. In, in spite of the fact that the government partially shutting down, it's 25% of the government, in spite of the fact that that is a significant thing, that there are some federal employees that we're concerned about if they don't get paid for a period of time that might need emergency food help, and we're trying to get messages out to anyone in that situation that, hey, there's help for you in the interim if you need it. Um, and I and I want to say 211 is a really important resource sure. for people that may need help. And also reflecting on this is how things happened, that, you know, nobody planned that they wouldn't get a paycheck next week, uh, and yet there they are not getting a paycheck. So there so, are certain government workers that are at work today... Uh, in either the sixth or the second day of the shutdown, it depends on how you count, um, such as TSA workers. They're required by their contract to go to work at the airports and continue to screen for everyone's safety, but they're not getting a paycheck. They're, now, hopefully, when this, this short-term government shutdown ends, then that pay that they're they're earning right now will be recouped into a more lump sum type of distribution. But right now, they don't have any money coming in. And so we want to be reassuring, right? For a short-term problem, there is help, mm-hmm. right? So, so we also want to help people understand that their benefits are not going to be cut off all of a sudden, that there are things in place. And we're going to be talking to Dr. Diane Golzinski shortly about that whole thing. So I'll save the details of that right. for a little bit later. But we're reassuring people that they don't have to worry today. 
that they are still going to be getting their benefits. And, and for people that have a couple kids that are employed, um, you know, th- those benefits make all the difference to make ends meet and keep their life on an even keel. And so we want to reassure people that there is some time for this to get resolved before there is an actual crisis. So a lot of what we're doing right now is sorting through the rhetoric, looking at the facts, and reassuring people that, you know, this tactic of shutting down the government, whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, is if it gets resolved quickly, I think we'll all be fine. Right. So at some point here, I want us to talk about the tactic and not the subject of the tactic, but the tactic itself. Um, as in the monologue I talked about, I see the tactic as a failure. I don't think that shutting down the government, either partially or fully, should be a negotiation tactic between the legislature and the president. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's moral. I don't think it's fair. I don't, I don't like it. And you might have guessed that in the monologue, right? <laughs> there was a hint. Yeah. Well, it's, to me, it represents a failure of leadership on both sides. And to put people at risk who are many people who are living paycheck to paycheck and making trade-offs at the end of the month because they got more month than they do money. Because And, and I'm talking about folks who are trying to do things right here. Uh, I, I don't like this. I don't think it's right to use the threat and now the actual shutdown of the government as a negotiation tactic. And I might not have made that as clear as I wanted to in the monologue, but I just did. And I would say um, it is a sign of frustration, right? I mean, when when people get frustrated that they're they can't get the things done that they feel are important, and the communication breaks down because you have you know, probably more, as you described, fixing the blame than fixing the problem going on. You have significant differences of opinion about what are the causes of these problems. And so people resort to what I'm going to call frustration-based tactics of just trying to push stuff through. But we've had several guests on the show who have said to us that knee-jerk legislation is the worst legislation. Sure. And we have to be thinking long-term about these issues. And whether... The issue is border security or a different issue that's causing people to disagree and and get frustrated with each other. The power politics that goes on to make things happen regardless of coming to any kind of compromise. I mean, I generally think you're right. That's not what good leadership looks like. It's not it's not it's not at all. And I, I, I think it's just grossly unfair to the people that you know, that are working like the TSA, uh, and there are others. Uh, and, and then to the people that, um, that we've said, we're going to come alongside of you and help you with these benefits. And, you know, I think that as we've said that this shutdown will have to go weeks before that begins to affect, but the longer it goes, the less services this government will be able to provide to its citizens. I also think that as leaders who are trying to manage the safety net, and the safety net really affects 40-some million people nationwide, um, we have to be mindful of these patterns because they are going to impact our work periodically. And that's not something that 10 years ago 
was even on anybody's radar that, well, we better start planning for a several government shutdowns every year. Right. Now, will that happen? I mean, we can't say it will or we can't say it won't. But what we can say is it's a pretty effective way to get attention. And if getting attention is what it takes to move things through, then people are going to use it. Well, that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to make the point about, Jerry, is that this is not the first time. It's not the second. It's the third. So third, three times in a, in a row, we can't seem to negotiate ourselves. And again, we're talking about, you know, uh, $5, billion, $5 billion and an offer of $1.3 from the Congress. So I, this looks like a pattern to me. Well, it's certainly something we have to pay attention to, and I think all of us in the food banking world have to imagine what kind of leadership we should have in light of this, right? So how do we then plan for what the safety net has to look like? And as we work on the blueprint to end hunger in Michigan, um, if imagining several partial government shutdowns a year is something that we have to do, then we have to do it. It's not a, it's not an option. We've got to be thinking about that and what it's going to take. Well, I understand your, your reality thinking over there. I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm not saying it's how it should be, but you know, if things were how it should be, we'd have a safety net that works right now. Well, because it's the third time and there'll probably be a fourth time, we should in our budgeting process probably take into account this is what i hear you saying which i think is good wise you know um forward thinking uh, logic and leadership and i think fortunately we have people in our government in the state of michigan who have thought about this because it's happened before and i think we have some pretty encouraging news coming up from dr golzinski when she comes on in just a minute well, let's get to that interview right now. We'll take a break, come back with Dr. Diane Gozinski, who's the Director for the Office of Health and Nutrition Services with the Michigan Department of Education. And that's relevant to this show because all emergency food that flows into the state of Michigan flows through the Michigan Department of Education. She's our guest. Jerry and I will be right back with Diane Gozinski in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Food for Thought here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in our studio. And as promised, our guest, Dr. Diane Gozinski, who is the director for the Office of Health and Nutritional Services with the Michigan Department of Education. Diane, welcome back to Food for Thought. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you, and you have been with us uh, on the show before, and of course our organizations, the Food Bank Council of Michigan and uh, the Michigan Department of Education, we have a great partnership because all of emergency food that flows into the state of Michigan flows through the Michigan Department of Education and specifically your office. That's right. We are absolutely committed to feeding the children of Michigan and their families, and our partnership has just been wonderful in helping to assure that that happens. So what you what we really want to talk about today is the government shutdown and, you know, what that means. And I guess a little context here is this is the third government shutdown between Congress and the current president. 
I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say there'll probably be a fourth, and we're going to be having this conversation. Jerry and I are going to talk a little bit about that in, uh, in the show as well, but it just happens to be that this is a, the third shutdown, and it's it's the long. It's, you know, some people are talking at the sixth day here when we're recording, but in all honesty, it's probably the second day. I mean, it started Correct. Friday at midnight. There was the weekend, and then Christmas and Eve and Christmas Day. So it was really been Wednesday and Thursday. Friday will be the third day, and then by the time our show airs, it will be back into the weekend. So. You know, a little bit of hype, you know, on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. But we wanted to get the truth from you. So why don't you begin by telling us what you know already? And then, Jerry, if you would, jump in here and, and kind of get it tailored to specifically our network. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you. So what I can tell you so far, the uh, communication that we have received from the USDA is that all of our programs, the child nutrition programs such as school lunch, school breakfast, child and adult care food program, as well as the emergency programs like TFAP and CSFP will all continue to run even in the event of the shutdown. We run on a reimbursement basis after a month is closed and current carryover funding can get us through the month of February. So I don't believe that this current shutdown would go into the month of February. I think that we are going to be okay. But we also have an agreement that we will continue to feed children and their families with carryover funding or on our own funding until the federal government is back and running and we have an appropriations bill that will allow us to get reimbursement for the work that we have done during the shutdown. Well, I just want to start by saying that's really good news and really excellent planning and a reason for us to be proud of the work that goes on at the state here. I mean, that's that's excellent planning, and, uh, and it's easy to take for granted that these things just happen, but we know that behind the scenes there's a lot of thought that goes into how do you prepare for these types of eventualities, and so... On behalf of the people we serve throughout the state of Michigan, I just want to say thank you for that. That It makes yes. a huge difference. Thank you, um, yes. So, so let me get a little bit specific about some of the things that affect food banks directly. So mm-hmm. TFAP, you know, the Emergency Food Assistance Program, that actually involves a few steps. So talk to Correct. us a little bit about what are the steps that make TFAP work? So we at the Department of Education, we have an agreement with our partners, such as the food banks, to deliver TFAP food to families who need it. That means that we have an agreement in place to do the work, do the administrative work, but we also order the food ahead of time. So all foods that were ordered up until the time that the federal government went into shutdown will continue to be delivered. That's part of the contract language. So all the way up through December 31st, any food order that was placed by our agency will continue to be delivered to our food bank partners so that they can then continue to distribute those foods. What we may see a lapse in is some administrative funding. We will work on carryover and other funding sources until that point. But really, that's such a small percentage of what we're doing for the residents of Michigan that they should still continue to be able to receive the food that they need to to help their families. 
So again, you know, you just said something that could easily get by people, and that is the small percentage of administrative funding for these programs. And again, people often think of the government as this big bureaucracy that's not very efficient. (laughs) But what you just said is in fact true. The TFAP program is very efficient, and it really is a small percentage of the overall funding that's used for that administration. So I know I'm pulling things out here, but I think these are things that people need to know about these programs and maybe don't. Um, so then trade mitigation food. This is new. We talked about it on, mm-hmm. on a recent show as well, that in order to help the farmers, um, there's other food that's coming that's being purchased mm-hmm. from those farms to keep them solvent. And I know we're coming up to a break here in just a minute. So I want to get to the trade mitigation food when we come back from the break. Let's do that Sounds right great. on the other side of this break. She's Dr. Diane Galinsky. She is the director for the Office of Health and Nutrition Services at the Michigan Department of Education. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. We're back. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with our friend and partner, Dr. Diane Gozinski, who is the director for the Office of Health and Nutrition Services at the Michigan Department of Education. And you guys started the conversation about trade mitigation food. So let's pick it up right there, Jerry. Yeah. So just to recap for for all of our listeners, um, when we started having the tariffs, one of our biggest exports is a food from farms. It's one of the biggest exports from the United States. And so some of the um, uh, retribution that happened from other countries that get a lot of food from the United States was they increased their tariffs on our food. That meant a pretty dramatic decrease in the food that our farmers could sell outside of the United States. So the the president and his administration and folks in Washington said we want to help these farmers while we're going through this process and so we are going to buy that food from them and distribute it through our partner food banks which serve every county in the United States. That was a big deal for us. It was great to be part of the solution while these things are being figured out. So because that program was put in place when the When the looming shutdown was happening, we started asking, well, what's going to happen with that program? And uh, Dr. Golzinski, I think you have the answer. Yes, according, well, I believe I do anyway. According to the USDA's press release, Sonny Perdue, the the agriculture secretary, is committed to assuring that the USDA programs continue as much as possible. And everything that I have been told from our USDA partners is that the trade mitigation purchases by the Agricultural Marketing Service will continue to happen. We are not out in any way to harm the people who would get those foods or the benefit of that program. And I think that's, again, fantastic news and really good planning and an example of how our government actually works the way it's supposed to. I mean, very encouraging uh, and, and, again, very important for people to know. So with that, I think the the next thing is, well, okay, so at least in the short term, we feel like we're okay. So when do things really start to slide for us? When should we start to worry? If it were me, I would start worrying if we don't have an appropriations bill by sometime in late February. Um, Right now, the SNAP program, we know 
will be funded through January, and we know that the child nutrition programs are funded through February. The carryover amount should get us through then. A new Congress will start January 3rd, and I'm very hopeful that we can come to some kind of resolution um, sometime in the month of January, if not before. So, so again, those are big programs, and, and while food banks don't have a whole lot to do with SNAP, SNAP is the single biggest federal program to help our hungry neighbors. It's very important to them. And if people ran out of that benefit, um, it's, it's catastrophic yes. to food banks. I mean, we yes. would see so many more people looking for help at pantries, many more than we would have the food or the facilities to serve. So, so I think that's an excellent point and really important for us to keep an eye on. If this goes on and we're getting to the end of January, the the pressure on our network is likely to start increasing pretty Correct. rapidly after that. Yes, and that's when I would really start worrying about our partners and their ability to maintain that level of need. Well, I think, too, when we look at particularly here in Michigan, um, recent uh, layoffs and some shutdowns of factories and uh, some of those plans, I think we're kind of already expecting an uptick in attendance at some of our pantry right. network. Uh, but then when you when you include the impact of the government shutdown, when it, if it goes past the middle of January, I think we're going to uh, see uh, even more folks come and need our services. And, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on charitable dollars. It puts more pressure on our business relationships as well uh, yes. that we're developing. And so we're just going to have to keep our uh, kind of our hand on the pulse here to make sure that that we're all ready to meet this need. I mean, we just it's just not an option for us to have someone come to us for food uh, to any of us and and just say we can't help. That's not That's an right. option for any of us. That's right, absolutely. And our schools and our child care agencies are already poised to take care of the children. It's the families that I worry about the most. Yeah. Well, that's why you're in that position, Diane, because you do worry about those families the most. Yes, I do. Yes, and we appreciate that. We appreciate your mind and your 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 dedication, but we appreciate your heart just as much. Thank you very much. I really am passionate about making sure that we take care of the people of Michigan, and you are great partners to do that. Well, we'll stay at it together. She's uh, Dr. Diane Gozinski. She is the Director for the Office of Health and Nutrition Services with the Michigan Department of Education. She's our friend and partner. And Diane, thanks for being back on Food for Thought with us. Thanks so much for having me. Have a wonderful new year. Thank you. We'll be back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought here. Jerry Brisson, the uh, president and CEO at Gleaners Community Food Bank, as well as the president for the Food Bank Council Board of Directors and uh, esteemed co-host for this show. And, uh, and we proud are proud to be, Doctor. Wow. Proud to I be. mean, 24 months here. Yeah. Yep. Two years we've been doing this. And, you know, it's probably after listening to Dr. Golzinski's, you know, very clear, this is what's going to happen, and rem reminding ourselves that, you know, we take these things a step at a time. Uh, boy, it's easy to reflect on the step at a time that we've that we've taken to change the conversation about food security in Michigan. It's been a, 
a really interesting couple of years. We've made a lot of progress. We've seen the needle move in very significant ways. Right. And so it's probably worth a little bit of reflection about that uh, as we're now talking about the government shutdown and <laughs> right. how exciting that is, right? Well, I think, too, that, you know, um, this 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 show is a good example. It's timely. We're in the middle of the shutdown, and, you know, and hopefully it ends soon. Uh, if not, we're going to be talking about it a lot more on the show. Uh, but I think that, you know, while I have been a, a bit uh, upset about using the shutdown as a negotiation tactic, um, I think that that there have been a lot of, you know, some pretty extreme reporting on both sides. And I, I think you're ready to talk about that a little bit. Well, it's the, you know, part of the reason why I, I think we have to keep changing the conversation is because there's so much of the media that's aimed toward getting reactions and moving people and getting, well, actions and reactions, or what did you call it? Inactions. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's one of the headlines, shut down to cut office overseeing federal food stamps by 95%. Now in some scenario that might be possible but if you just read the headline, what is that trying to do? It's trying to paint a picture. It's trying to paint one side as not being considerate of this huge potential impact. And it's purposefully teeing that up for purposes that have nothing to do with what's really happening. And I think that's where we have to be very, very careful as consumers of media. And one of the things that I really like about this show and the way we do this work is we are trying to be rational and thoughtful and really take a hard look at what is it really going to take to have a food secure community. Right. And I think if we just flew off the handle at things and, and you know, made it our objective just to get reactions from people... Over time, it would undermine our work. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make it better. It would make it worse. And so therein lies where I think is the biggest thing for reflection on the government shutdown. It's, it, yes, there's a lack of leadership in the tactic, and I think you made a good point there. But even more, it's the jumping on the bandwagon to take sides and beat people over the head. And if that means exaggerating or not being entirely truthful, well, okay, that's fine because we're accomplishing the end of getting an a reaction or an action. And there's where I just have to say, I, I just don't believe that helps us in the long run. So here's another headline for you. This is from Vox, V-O-X, V-O-X news source says, government shutdowns hurt poor families and low paid workers. So all of this is true if we get into February. For sure. For but sure. This Either, again, the sixth day or the second day as we are recording, that's not true. And It I could be true, but it's not true today. Right. And I think even as we look at, so the, the appropriation is somewhere around a trillion dollars, right? That's 25% of the government. Yeah, $1.1 trillion. The amount of money they're arguing about is $5 billion, and they've already compromised almost $2 billion of that. So right. you're really talking about digging your heels in on a $3 billion line item to a trillion dollar appropriation. So again, 
the rational part of the conversation has to be what are we really talking about here not what are the potential impacts two months down the road that's going to make one side or the other look good or bad and even to throw in there that somehow one side cares about border security and one side doesn't it's not right it's not right it's it's not even the the information that's available just by looking at um you know the the what's happening in these deliberations it's it's public information that you can see and read and it's not true there's nobody saying border security isn't important yeah. so when you when you start looking at these nuances compared to what is the truth it becomes pretty obvious that well this is a pretty heavy tactic for an issue that there's almost full agreement on and and it doesn't seem like the tactic is very old I mean, this is, as I said earlier, this is the third shutdown between this president and this Congress. So uh, this this seems to be a negotiation t- tactic, as you said, that we should probably start to get a little more used to and, uh, and what the effects that's going to be. And one of the things I think is partially true in this headline that I shared with you, that government shutdowns hurt poor families and low-paid workers. They make a distinction there between poor families and low-paid workers. So, I mean, I don't know how many weeks I could, how many paychecks I could really miss before I start to feel that. Right. You know, and so right. I don't think there's a lot of us walking around uh, that that could really endure two, three, four, five, and six missed paychecks and and really not begin to feel that. And I do think it's our obligation to inform our legislators and the administration of what are the real impacts of this. When do those impacts start to have significant consequences so that we can help people make timely decisions about important things like this. So again, I'm always going to err on the side of let's be rational and reasonable and not let the rhetoric lead us down a path that that, that really the the victory is almost at hand. So let's just claim the victory and move on. Yeah, well, you're on news talk radio here. So how are you going to be like, level-headed <laughs> <laughs> well again i want to reflect about you know a couple years of this show and we have had guests on this show who are very staunchly right wing and we've had other guests who are very much left wing and we find a way to speak to this issue and let them speak to this issue of food security in our state and one thing i can say for sure is you don't solve difficult social problems by deciding who's not worthy to be at the table you have to find a place for people to be part of the conversation you have to listen to their concerns you have to take them into account and the only way to move forward in a significant significant way is to really spend a lot more time understanding and a lot less time just being critical or even worse, exaggerating problems in order to make a point. Yeah, well, governance by fixing the blame isn't working. And so I think that's the message that we have to give our legislators, as well as our president, and is that we have higher expectations of you than this. This behavior of government shutdown as a negotiation tactic is not acceptable. Not acceptable by your citizens, by the people that you represent. And I think that there's a lot for us to 
to be happy about with how we've seen things in our state, especially around the issue of providing food security for our community. Under the Republican administration of Governor Snyder, we saw some significant steps forward in funding for and rethinking how we have to take care of those people who need this help. As the new governor starts getting into office, she has already appointed a director level person who's going to be what we call the food czar and really take a look at further improving the way we deal with this issue. We know that this is a bipartisan issue. We know that that calm, rational, thoughtful work is what's going to make these steps forward and, and what will eventually lead to a food secure state. And I just don't believe that any other approach has long-term benefit. I agree with you. Nobody's shocked by that, but (laughs) I do agree with you and appreciate your thoughts. It's time for a little food for thought. During my educational career, I was once taught that virtually every plot, play, book, short story, movie, or song has something to do with one of the seven deadly sins. I've observed that while not absolutely true, it's more true than false. Perhaps we can say the same for the failure of our government to govern and that by creating another government shutdown, they are responsible for the creation of the eighth category of deadly sins called blame. Albert Einstein said, you can't blame gravity for falling in love. Hubert Humphrey said, to err is human and to blame someone else is politics. But it was President John F. Kennedy who gave us and our current leaders the right path to follow when he said, let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democratic answer. Let us not seek to fix the blame for the past. Let us accept our responsibility for the future. I fear that when we begin to blame others, we give up our power to change. Instead, let's you, Jerry, and me continue to work together to build both the personal and political will to do what is best for our communities, especially in regards to food security. That's all we have time for today. Follow Jerry and me on Twitter. And if you missed a show or would like to subscribe to the podcast version of Food for Thought, you can do so at foodsecuremichigan.org. And until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.